What is up, PGA fans? We are back, and we are heading to Mexico. We are going to the Maya Cova Championship. As always, I'm here with my trusted co-hosts, Sian Najad and Spencer Aguiar, and we have a special guest tonight. Uh, PGA Tout came to join us for the show, giving his plays. We're giving you all the aces. We brought the full foursome, so no randoms getting assigned to us this week. We are bringing you the picks, and we're going to win some money this week. So let's start. Uh, John, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. It is a pleasure to be in this box uh, between you all. Um, I'm excited to talk Mayakoba. I am repping Mayakoba today. Um, three months, I think, removed from playing. So I'm sure I played in exactly the same PGA Tour conditions that they'll be playing in this week. And I have no doubt that... Uh, my experience will be translatable to what some of the players see this week. So I am excited to talk through it with you fellas. I love it. I lo- and as you all know, that's just the type of detail we like to provide on this show is we prefer to play the course before we give you insight into yeah. it. So of course, you know, it was an easy pick for John this week, knowing he had played the course just within three months ago and is going to be able to give us all the details of every hole. Uh, I'm sure he probably would have beat half the field anyway, but they didn't invite him for some weird reason. I don't get that. But anyway, see, how you doing tonight? Joel, I'm doing well. I am. I'm actually really excited to have John on here. Um, John, how do you pronounce your last name, by the way? Hassel Bauer. Wrong. It's actually pronounced Tout. Okay, so that's that's the first question <laughs> that you've already gotten wrong. So so that's a good prelude to what I'm going to do in this show. I'm just going to be a complete menace, and I'm going to instead of giving you analysis on the golfers, which I'll do a little bit, Joel. Um, this is probably a surprise to you, but uh, I'm just going to pepper John with questions because I honestly think. He's such a big guy in this industry. He, he won't say that, but, but I will. And I feel like nobody knows about him really because he's not on a lot of shows. So I think I'm just going to use my time with the four of us. Like, we don't need four analysts today, do we, right? So my time is just going to be spent getting to know John. And then you guys can do, you know, the golf bit, if you will. And John, in case you need it, just give me a safe word. So if see it becomes too much, I'll make sure I get him off your back. <laughs> Listen, I'm ready. I'm ready for any. All right. All right. You, you guys, I feel like I'm getting hazed in my debut. But I'm ready for it. <laughs> I gave you a chance. Can't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> Spence, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well also. I got to meet John a little bit better on my show. I do be the number yesterday. So once again, John, thank you for coming on that. And I'm looking forward to this today with all of us. I'm looking forward to it too. I think we have a great opportunity this week to make some money. I think, you know, it's time. We needed a full field again. We've had a few of these JV tournaments with some of these no-name guys. And, you know, we're back this week. We got, you know, a full, full field, but we got a lot of the big names back. And I think it's going to be more normal in terms of handicapping and things like that. So before we dive into things, let's start on the course breakdown like we always do. Um, Spencer, as always, since you are the resident most detailed breakdown of a course we've ever seen. Why don't you kick us off? What are you looking at for the course this week in Mexico? Yeah, so the best way to describe El Chameleon Golf Course would be as an exposed oceanside track that features jungle terrain and swampland. That's a unique mixture since you get three different textures with that description. But golfers will need to traverse various hazards, including those of the architectural variety. Uh, There are very few locations on the PGA Tour where distance doesn't hold an advantage over precision. But nearly 65% of all top 10 finishers during the previous eight years have been shorter than average off the tee. It's not to say that distance is a negative, but accuracy players will see a boost. 
One of the reasons for that has to do with players clubbing down to avoid the plethora of hazards that come into play. The rough is virtually non-existent, but the misses do compound. If you go wayward to one side, you may be put in the jungle. On the other, you might find yourself in the water, and all of that needs to be maneuvered as you're worried about the wind that comes in off the coast. Scoring tends to be easy for those that hoist the title, but this track isn't a given. Uh, that point gets enhanced when we dive a little deeper into the actual metrics. As El, El Chameleon ranks near the top 10 on tour every season in birdie or better percentage and double bogey or worse rate, rate, mistakes will be made when balls get sprayed, and golfers can start to feel as if they are trapped in a tiny bubble once things begin to go wrong. The greens typically register between a 10 to 11 on the stint meter, which is extremely slow, and we receive that setup so the surface doesn't get away from the grounds crew if the winds do play a factor. Overall, golfers that can find fairways off the tee and pinpoint their irons from a shorter proximity range should be at an advantage, and the ability to play on a slow surface should only help matters. I talked with John on my Be The Number podcast yesterday about these types of tournaments where, you know, I, I haven't heard what you guys are going to say yet, but Overall, from a consensus level in the industry, I think all of us are saying the same things. Uh, as everyone knows, I'm always attempting to change my model away from the consensus with how in-depth I get in breaking down the variables. Uh, but for as great as it is to have metrics that are easily quantifiable for betting, even without stat tracker, it does add a wrinkle to the equation in DFS. Ownership clearly plays a heavy factor in decision-making, and I find it to be a hard week with seven of my top 10 players ranking inside the top 10 in ownership. It doesn't mean we can't find ways to separate from the pack, but it's going to be difficult to avoid some of these chalky selections. I like when my model is predicting negative EV outcomes for some of the most popular plays, and that's just not the case this week with only four golfers inside the top 20 on DraftKings pricing, ranking more than 10 spots away from what I have as proper. For reference sake, those plays are Taylor Gooch, Adam Long, who has the best course history at this event without a win, uh, Patrick Rogers and Pat Perez, another golfer that has been stellar here, providing three top eight finishes over his last five years. But I still made myself unique in different ways. So I didn't weigh any course history in the mix. Uh, from an overall weight of my model, it was 70% stats, 30% current form. I started with weighted ball striking for 25%. That's the PGA Tour's definition of the stat. I took 90% accuracy and mixed it with 10% distance. The 90% came from a combination of accuracy and fairways gained. I've never had that large of a discrepancy before in a model, but as John mentioned yesterday, uh, that idea is pretty standard when you look at a site like Golf Data. Their chart was about as far pulled towards accuracy as it could be. Uh, I then took 75% of that total and mixed it with 25% GIR. So it's ball striking on the surface, but it's mostly an influx of accuracy and a secondary weight of GIR to keep the category a little different from the industry. I've weighed a proximity for 15%. I like to get more precise than I was able to there, but you know the lack of strokes gain data made it difficult to project out where approach shots would come from. I did try to create a different proximity total that would be closer to mimicking this week's property, which led me to including 60% of my total from zero to 150 yards. The rest was scattered from there. In retrospect, you probably could go heavier than I did in the short proximity ranges, but I wanted to include some other of those zones to account for the par fives. That led me into par five birdie or better for 12.5%. These are reachable in two shots and have been the number one decider between the three par totals and figuring out top 10 finishers. Weighted scoring for 10%, 70-30 split of birdie or better over bogey avoidance. As I noted, this is a venue that is inside the top 10 in both birdie or better percentage and double bogey or worse rate. Weighted par four for 15%. These are going to be your most challenging holes, so I did come back on with adding a little bit more bogey avoidance into general par four scoring. 12.5% on a weighted category of slow to average greens. That's 70% on strokes gained total and 30% on slower surfaces. 
And then I wrapped it up with 10% on strokes gain total at under 7,200 yards. That's one of my favorite stats to use when it's correctly measurable. There's something to be said about how certain golfers perform better when they are required to take driver out of the bag. So uh, just really quickly to wrap that up, when I ran that model, the top five for me was Thomas, Answer, Hovland, Tringali, and Mito. When I ran it for upside, Answer, Mito, Hovland, Tringali, and Thomas. Pretty similar for both, but as you can see, I'm kind of caught right in that middle zone of the chalk there. I love it. I love it. I, I, thanks for simplifying that down this week and really kind of shortening it because I know. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That, but listen, this is like a lot of people don't run models. So if you can, you can get all this information, kind of understand where some of the, the advanced metrics come from and some of the people who run some of this stuff or what are they looking at really does give you an edge week to week. Um, see, did, did Spencer miss anything that you're looking at? Oh, he certainly didn't miss anything. I mean, it's, it, you know, this is why Spencer should be going first on this, right? Because his is so comprehensive. And, and for those of you that model, I think I think a problem with modeling sometimes is we mimic other people's models. And when I say we, I'm actually excluding Spencer from this, John. I don't know uh, if and how you model. So I'm not speaking for you either. But the point is, is, you know, we find out that, you know, driving accuracy is really important. Then we're going to put a certain percentage on approach because that's just what people are inclined to do. And then we're, we, we might minimize putting here. And John might tell us about why, you know, we might do that. And so it ends up being like this percentages are almost like not identical, but they're very similar. So what I love about Spencer's is his is so like, it's so granular. It's so micro that, and, and he's, he's just so educated on this, just course to course that like you potentially are finding an edge that 90% of the people doing this just don't have because of how far Spencer is digging through. So I, I love it. You know, I, I'm not going to add much to, to what he said. I mean, obviously, I, I think we know there's certain sort of benchmarks here. Most of us have probably read PGA Tout's article. I'm going to call you PGA Tout. Do I call you John? I don't even know what to do. John, what, what's the answer to that question? I feel like now that we've broken the ice, it's John. It's John. I feel like, I feel like we, we've cleared a threshold. We have. Let's, so yeah, I, I'll, 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 I'll end right there. But that's that's what I'm looking at. I, I would also say if you call me PGA Tout, we have to call Spencer T off sports and we have to call Joel Draft Master Flex. We have to keep it consistent. That's true. But like nobody knows that's it's funny though, because like nobody knows you as John, right? Like they just know you as PGA Tout. I mean, I like to think that outside of this Twitter bubble that um, <laughs> that the, the former is true. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, John, but nothing <laughs> nothing exists outside of this Twitter bubble. Twitter so bubble. Your friends and, and family they they don't call you PGA Tout. Um, now they do. No, you're right. Everything's uh, swirling. Um, That's what I figured. Yeah, it it's sense. all it's all chaos here. I, I wear <laughs> many I wear many hats, not just this one. Well, listen, John, you actually played the course, so. What did you get from experience on the course that you think might be a factor here this week? Yeah, um, really reassuring um, when I saw the data golf stuff that, that Spencer was just talking about, because I walked off this course and I was like, wow, that was not forgiving at all off the tee. Um, I don't know like how often you guys play or like play on vacation, but I had this great anxiety that I was going to run out of balls um because i only had two sleeves so i had six total balls i hit a what i thought was a pretty good tee shot on one and it could not be found it was it was a baby cut that may have actually been a slice and i couldn't find i I refuse to say that i hit it out of bounds it was one of those where like i think i lost the ball um or like i i think somebody could not locate my ball because it's not a lost ball but i lost my first tee shot 
And then I hit my second tee shot into the trees. That was an actual slice. And then the next hole was like a clear, you got to lay up on this hole. There's like water everywhere. And it's like 350 yards. There's absolutely no point to hit driver, but I don't do that. And so I hit driver good, but through the fairway. So I lost three balls on my first four holes, I think. And I was down to one sleeve for, for the rest of the round. Um, so that was nerve wracking. That was me putting pressure on myself. Um, well, there's wait, like did a, you maintain or did you lose the other three balls? So what ended up happening was we would drive past like a creek or a canal and I would stop the cart and like fish around. Like I have to find some golf balls. So there was at one point where I was playing like a souvenir golf ball. It was like a Jack Nicholas like plastic ball almost. And I was like, I don't want to, cause, cause I had three balls that came with my, my bag and then a sleeve that I brought, bought of like Mayakoba souvenir balls. So I was like, I really don't want to lose these because I'd like to go home with them. And I immediately had to play them like way sooner than I thought. So I was on damage control mode early. Um, but I think once I got, I don't know if it was nerves or just like I was playing with rentals and I was trying to figure it out. I got into a little bit of a groove. Um, and I start, once you hit fairways here, it's not a difficult course. Um, so you know, my overarching impression as I left this place was I probably should have laid up more. Um, and if you're not somebody who's capable of hitting fairways, this place is a nightmare and you're going to get double bogeys. You're going to hit it out of bounds. Um, and then I went to daddy golf and, um, that was true. It is like the most severe, literal off the charts, importance on driving accuracy, um, that exists. So nice validation, like can definitely confirm if you're playing out of the fairway, it's a super easy course. You should you should be able to get to 20 under if your game is on and, um, you know, the wind, if the weather's not acting up. There, there was not a lot of weather while I was there. It rained the day before, but it was like overcast. So weather wasn't a factor. It's very guarded by trees. It's like you said, it's in the jungle. There's a lot of like pictures of it on the beach. There's maybe two holes where you see the water, like the ocean. Uh, for, for the most part, this is like a jungle course. It's surrounded by trees. Um, I think back to like, if you guys watched the Olympics at Kissimmee Gusecki, um, like when Xander was, was swinging through jungle brushes, like we might see some of that here. Um, and if we do, um, I learned thanks to Twitter that the indigenous animal here is called the Kudamundi, um, which I described in my article as a anteater sloth monkey combination. Um, cause I didn't know what to call it, but it actually has a name. It's a Kudamundi. Um, so be on the lookout for those. I don't know if there's like an over under prop, if we see any Kudamundis out there, but that is something that I will be looking for. Are, are they Mexican raccoons? Cause we have Isaiah in here. It says, tell us the story of the Mexican raccoons. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. They go by many names. Okay, um, gotcha. I can recount the story. Um, it, well, John, hold on, hold on. Let, let's, let's wait. Let, let's, let's go maybe later in the show to get, to get that story going. Cause I actually kind of want to hear about it too. I must've skipped that part in the article. Oh, okay. Okay. I will sit on it. I but, love it. Uh, I love long story it. short, I agree with what Spencer said about this course. Spencer knows what he's talking about. Well, you know, look, as the theme is, it seems like all things are better from Mexico, right? Mexican Coke, Mexican raccoons. They just improve when you're in Mexico, Mexican golf. So here we are. We're going to win some money on the Mexican golf course. Let's dive right in, right? We got a, I think we got a pretty loaded pool. Uh, I think the top range is an interesting one for sure. Sia, you want to kick us off in the top range tonight? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so John, um, are you a cat person? 
I am a cat person. I own a cat and she has made cameos um, in these videos before. I think she's locked out today, but uh, I did adopt a cat. So yes, okay, confirmed. So are you also a dog person? Do you also own a, a dog? And what's your cat's name? Um, I'm just a cat person. I'm not anti-dog, wow. but I do live in an apartment and I think it's not fair to a dog to confine them to the square footage that I'm limited to right now. So down the, down the line, when I have a yard, I will become a dog person. But in my current living situation, I am strictly a cat person. Uh, her name is Molly. I didn't name her. I adopted her as a senior. She was 10. And that was her name. And I tried to give her a bunch of different names. And she would only respond to Molly. So um, that is what we stuck with. John, really good, really good save with the whole dog it being unfair thing. Because you could see the disappointment on my face, and then you totally just made up for it. Okay, a few more questions before we get to somebody else to actually evaluate this top range. Okay, if you could be one golfer on the PGA Tour, who would it be? Ooh, if I could be one golfer on the Jason PGA Day. Tour. <laughs> who comes to mind first? This is rapid fire. Um, I mean, well, the first thing that comes to mind is Tiger Woods, but that's, that's not actually an answer. So, um, let me actually, let me say answer. I'll say Abraham answer. That guy nice. lives a very cool life. And every time he posts anything on Instagram, there's like five different celebrities that comment on it. So he is well-connected and he has a tequila company. So I love that. That's my okay. answer. 12 round cage match, Pat Mayo versus Rick Gaiman. Who wins? Uh, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a nod to Rick because I know there's a there the, we're partial to Rick on this show so that's correct. nothing against Pat but I know we have direct ties to to Rick so go Rick also uh, watched Rick's interview with with Vic and it was fantastic so a hundred percent at uh, three hundred yards to unknown if you're not already uh, downloading and listening to that uh, you're missing out uh, candy corn insulting Halloween treat or not that bad very insulting yeah, um, totally agree just um, rude. Yeah, it's rude, right? Uh, favorite favorite cheap beer. We're talking Miller Lite, Bud Light, Coors Light. What's your favorite cheap beer? Labatt Bush Blue. Um, Syracuse guy here. So easily Labatt Blue. Okay, I'll give you one more before we move on to actual analysis. Favorite comedic movie? Um, the Other Guys, um, which I was just thinking about because Mark Wahlberg is in it and he is the one who comments most frequently on Abraham Answers posts. Um, I could watch that any day of the year. Wow, what a tie-in. Nice work. Okay, uh, that, that's all my time. Who are we going to next? That is fair. Uh, Spence, why don't you go next? Who do you like here in the top range? Yeah, so we have seven players this week above $10,000. Um, you know, Justin Thomas leads the way at 11200 As I mentioned, he was the number one golfer in my model from an overall rank sense. He did place behind Answer and Hovland when looking for only GPP playability. But it's hard to find too many negatives for him. I guess the one glaring issue from a statistical perspective is that he ranks 97th in driving accuracy and 99th in fairways gained on this course in my model. Uh, but he carries enough firepower off the tee that he should be able to club down just fine and be creative with his three woods or irons. We saw him do that exact strategy when he won the Players' Championship this season. So there is potential opening for him to play conservatively off the tee and still be able to use his strength and control his wedges and irons into the greens. Hovland at 10,900 has about as much volatility as you will find when it comes to his course history here. Two missed cuts in 2018 and 2019. He then won the tournament last year. I think that kind of expresses my point in a nutshell that rollover predictability is virtually non-existent for most players. I think that's why I'm not including any into it. And I like I know John said yesterday, and I'll let him get into that of what he's doing with comp courses with it. But I, I think Hovland's game is trending towards another win if he can figure out how to get his putter going. 
He ranks third in my upside model and has averaged 3.3 strokes with his irons over his last 10 trackable starts. Uh, I notice a positive trend with him that anytime he's gained in a start, he has gained in the next start four straight times with the flat stick. So if you give him a lull and he, he gains, he's going to do it again. So it might be coming together at the right time for him. Answer at 10,700. I wish they would have just made him the highest price player on the board. It probably wouldn't have stopped most of the onslaught, but I'm sure a handful of users would have thought twice about playing a golfer like answer over Thomas. As everyone knows that listens to me in any capacity, I'm not an answer guy. I think he's quite often one of the most overpriced options on the board because of his popularity inside of this industry. But I don't necessarily believe that to be the case here at Mayakoba. Uh, he's a head-to-head favorite over every golfer in the betting market, including Thomas. And he was a top-ranked golfer in my model when looking for just upside. Uh, tournaments like this one where the top three golfers in price are also the top three on my board make it tough to avoid looking at up top when adding in your first selection. But there are always ways to pivot into a less predictable lineup construction. I'm not opposed to the idea of t- stacking $10,000 golfers. I think that quickly will help you with some of the ownership issues. I also don't love the $9,000 range as a whole. So if you skip a start of answer and wise in particular in GPPs, I think you're already a little bit different. Finau is probably one of the better contrarian pivots at 10,600. I I like where his ownership's at. I don't love the price on Hatton at 10,300. I think you could have swapped him for a random $9,000 golfer and gotten a more legitimate price tag. I like Horschel for cash at 10,100. And Kepka continues to be a stay away from me. I'd rather play someone like Scotty Shuffler in the 9,000s if I'm going to drop down into that zone. I like it. I like it. John, who are you looking at up here? Um, I, I, I really like Abe, uh, to be honest. I mean, I got Abe at 27 to one, like immediately when odds opened and I've seen him as low as like 16. So if he was, if he opened at 16, I would not share the same sentiment. Um, but I mean, he checks every box. We just watched Hideki win in front of his home crowd. That's fresh in our minds. And that's pretty much the same situation we're going to have here where, where Abraham answer is playing in front of his home crowd the only time of year now that the WGC Mexico has kind of relocated. This is their only chance to see their star. Um, and for the first time, he's coming to this event as a PGA Tour winner. So I think when you play in front of your hometown crowd uh, with that kind of monkey up your back, um, I think there's validity to that. I, th- I think that the, there is a, a fade narrative that he's going to be too nervous to play in front of his crowd. He's already proven that he plays well um, at this tournament. Fits him perfectly, as I was saying in the beginning. Like, if you keep the ball in play, you are going to be in positions to go very low. We know he's capable of going low. Um, looked a little rusty at, at the Shriners, but for his first event of the new year in Las Vegas, I think we can give him a pass for that, and they bounce right back at the CJ Cup with a good showing. So, I, I like Abe. Um, it's hard to it's hard to look at Justin Thomas at the top and say you know you're confident he's not going to do well. We saw what he did at. TPC Sawgrass on a more angular, you know, shorter positional course. So he absolutely can club down and do just fine here. It's past Palm Greens. We've, we've talked a bit about how if you're not the best putter, you can still find some success on past Palm. So, uh, I, and he himself has won on past Palm courses overseas. So um, definitely in play, definitely a concern when you're playing a bunch of outrights that Justin Thomas could just go beast mode this week and, and wipe the, the slate clean. Um, so maybe in DFS, I have a little more exposure to him. Victor Hovland, another guy, he's always played well on, on past problems. First two wins came on past problem here in Puerto Rico open. 
um, and a guy that again just keeps the ball in play. So I think those are the top three priced players, and the, you know the, I agree with that valuation. Those are my three favorite players. The rest of the this guy, the guys in the ten k range, I will probably be staying away from. I like it. I like it. For me, um, I think the obvious, you know, answer in Hovland, there's a lot to like. The concern is going to be from a GPP perspective. What's that ownership going to be come Wednesday night? Um, you know, because there is a number, I think, anywhere under 25%. I'm happy to eat that chalk. When you start getting closer to 30%, that's when I'm going to start kind of figuring if it's worth kind of going into that. So let's just keep an eye on that going into Thursday. And then the rest of this range, I'm intrigued by Finau and Hatton. You know, obviously the, the on-paper plays are, are way better for Inter and Hovland, but these are still two guys that are, are better golfers, better pedigree golfers in the rest of the field. And I think by a good margin. So if you get a week this week where uh, Finau is finding a lot of fairways, same with Hatton, I think they can really go low. So those would be the two pivots I would look up at here. Other than that, I do think you want to be as balanced as you can, especially if you're going to cram in a lot of Inter and, and Hovland. So I don't think you can play too much of two of these guys. It's just going to be hard from a – roster construction standpoint so with that being said let's dive into this 9k range see you want to kick us off here i do by the way i agree i mean hovland and answer th- th- those are the guys i like the best i also agree with the female pivot especially when you look at his last few tries here he's been pretty good he's got a miscut in there but eighth and 16th so he's certainly not a disaster on this course at least history doesn't indicate he is and to your point he is one of the you know class players of this field I and mean, if, if you really look at it i mean it, it, I just uh, to me the gap between like Finau and I understand like Billy Ho's experience here is really good his history here is really good but I mean I'm just saying pedigree wise the gap between Tony Finau and almost everybody below him I think is is pretty steep uh it just just from a long-term view of it okay so 9k range John better holiday Christmas or Thanksgiving uh Christmas Thanksgiving is at the bottom of the board for me it's Christmas gotcha okay. it's not the top uh, of the board um jeopardy or wheel of fortune that's a good question i would go wheel i feel like i feel like i'm more involved in wheel like i don't know the answers to all the jeopardy questions that's fair that's fair i thought you were going to like pretend like it it was jeopardy but it really wasn't but (laughs) i appreciate the candor um your last name you pronounced it for me but what kind of name is that what's the background there it's german it's um translates to hazelnut farmer oh okay interesting um, yeah. That see, like, how much did we just learn about John right there? You're welcome, everybody. Um, your go-to Starbucks drink, assuming you drink coffee. I am a black coffee drinker, and I don't go to Starbucks because they like they naturally put like syrup in it, even if you ask for black. So, blacklist for Starbucks for me. I'm a Dunkin' guy. Interesting. I'm actually a black coffee drinker too, and I go to Starbucks, so I'm gonna have to look into this i mean okay. they don't always but sometimes they do have had some bad incidents and now they're on now they're on the blacklist interesting the blacklist indeed okay uh true or false miley cyrus actually pretty damn talented true liked the new album very yeah, she's actually a good actress too she was on black mirror she had a whole episode on black yes, mirror she she's, she's really good uh Big super black insightful here yeah uh super insightful you gotta listen to interviews with, with her i'm telling you uh is a hot dog a sandwich Oh, I love this conversation. Hot dog is uh, emphatically not a sandwich. A sandwich, to be a sandwich, has to be the verb sandwiched between something. There is no between in in a hot dog bun. Okay, so the, it's so a now, taco. 
Yeah, you could you could argue that there is an in between there, but I agree with your answer. Real quick, Joel and and Spencer is a hot dog a sandwich. Joel, go first. Hot dog is a sandwich. Oh, oh you're dear. wrong, Spencer. I agree with John. Not there. We go three to one. Okay, last one. My my time's almost done uh, for this segment. Uh, underrated band, John. A, a band that you follow that just not a lot of people listen to. Uh, or that isn't fully appreciated. Like we can know them, but like maybe maybe you think they're just better than other people do. Um, let's see. That's a good question. Uh, the my answer. I'm like blanking on the name of the band. They're so underappreciated that you can't even. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's the wrong answer. Okay. So we'll come back to that. Uh, who come wants back to go to next me. for come the nine game? Um. And, and, you know, I, I think that was actually a good use of the 9K range time because I'm not going to have any exposure to the 9K range in my DFS lineups. I will say um, Aaron Wise is a guy that I love in one and done this week. Um, if you're in a one and done league because he's never going to be hotter than he is right now and he's never going to go into a course where he has better history. And I don't think he's going to be mega chalk with so many bigger names ahead of him as favorites this week. So I think he's in a good spot for one and done, but DFS wise, I'm not really going to be playing these guys. He's my one and done pick uh, for the, for the first cut uh, one and done that I'm doing. So awesome. I'm embarrassed to ask this. What is one and done? Ouch. One and done. One and done is like the survivor of golf. Okay. So you pick a golfer every week, whatever he earns on tour goes to your aggregate earnings. Of course the year you can't pick him twice. Yeah, I'm with you guys. It, I think it, on paper he looks good. Like he was, he's a good history here. He's playing well, but at this price tag and ownership that's coming, I'm just like I can't get around to that. I just I can't I can't do it. So uh, I hope it doesn't bite me in the butt. But I, I'm just not going to be able to go there. For me in, in the nine K range, you know, I am. I, listen, Patrick Reed was good last week against nobody that's relevant. Um, I like him this week again. I know it, it sounds crazy, but I think he might be turning a corner. So, Reed, I am going to play. I got some exposure to Reed. Other than that, there's not a ton I like in this 9K range either. I probably won't have too much other exposure except for a little bit of Reed. Uh, how about you, Spence? Who are you looking at here? Uh, I like Scotty Scheffler at 9,900. I think he could just as easily be in the 10,000s if he didn't provide two questionable showings in Vegas. He lost heavily off the tee and won pretty badly with his irons in the other. Uh, He gained in those two categories during the opposite starts. I'd be more concerned if one factor of his game was trending in the wrong direction, but this feels more like a situation where he just wasn't clicking on all cylinders. I assume we will put the pieces together soon. If looking at just head-to-head matchups, he's a favorite over Kepka, Horschel, and Hatton while being a slight dog to Finau, and that's probably indicative of where he should have been priced. Aaron Wise, I don't have a problem with the price tag as much as I have a problem with the ownership. Like, I can't justify playing him at 18 to 20 percent i think the price tag's actually kind of decent all things considered like there may be ways to use him like obviously a one and done maybe you could play him for a a cash build although he has been volatile at this course it hasn't been all sunshine and roses for him like he does have two missed cuts to go along with his two top 10 since 2017 and then the two contrarian pivots that i like are as you said joel patrick reed And I like Shane Lowry a little bit. Um, Both are negative for me in price versus rank, but I don't mind taking shots on them since it won't take much for me to get overweight at about 5%. Uh, But that's probably going to be it for me in this zone. I'll monitor ownership on everybody to make sure it doesn't get into a range I wasn't anticipating, but I'll have the most exposure to Scheffler and then a varying amount of Lowry and Reed beneath that. I like it. 
Now, you guys have to excuse me. Um, this hosting with four people is advanced. Is there anyone else or is there any other plays in the 9K range before we dip down into the 8K range? Well, let me ask this. Is anybody interested in Will Zalatoris at all? It seems like just from a price standpoint, like he could probably be higher, maybe in that Patrick Reed range, and he's not. Does anybody see value with Zalatoris? I don't. I don't like the fit for him here. I, I don't think he has control of the driver, and he's a guy who can really lose one. Um, you know, with that swing speed he has, how far he hits it, like it can really get away from you. And that's a, that's a really a strength in his arsenal that he's used for his high finishes. But I think this is a really tough fit for him. Um, so I, I'm going to be fading him. Yeah, gotcha. probably the same for me too. Yeah, my concern is, you know, what John was saying about you got to be really accurate here, right? That's pretty clear. And that's not his forte. He tends to be pretty wild. I think he can – even if he's even if he keeps accuracy for a couple of days, he has one wild day that could really blow up his whole his whole round. So for that reason, I'm out. All right, let's push this down to the 8K range. We are moving right along. I actually like this range a good deal, so I'm interested to see Spencer. Who are you looking at here? Yeah, I like this range too. I think there's a lot of playable options. Uh, Cameron Tringali, 8,900. I think he's the natural GPP pivot off of Wise if you're trying to figure out a spot to get contrarian. His form doesn't give you an idea that his upside might be as high as Wise's, but Tringali's a different golfer this season than he's been in his career. He ranks fourth in my overall model and inside the top 40 in all weighted statistics that I used, including grading third at courses under 7,200 yards. Matthew Fitzpatrick, 8,800. Uh, Third-ranked golfer in this field in moderate to severe win, and is just a week removed from being the top-priced player on the board at the Bermuda. Fitzpatrick isn't necessarily a value for me on the surface, but any course that mimics some of these short courses like Harbord Town or anything like that, I'm always going to give him a second look. He's fourth in this field in putting on slow greens and 17th at courses under 7,200 yards. Uh, McNeely at 8,500. Uh, I think you can always make an argument that McNeely might be better suited for cash than GPPs, but I can make a strong case for him in, across the board. If I use my safety rating, when looking at him, uh, he's contributed two top 26s at the property in his two starts and should like the slower greens. I think Russell Henley at 8,200 is going to be popular, but I understand why with it. He's been surprisingly bad at the course with two missed cuts in a 20 night, but as I've said numerous times, I'm not overly concerned with course history at this particular stop. Uh, you know, despite the popularity, I would probably rather use him in GPPs only because of the negative past trends. But he's top 10 in this field when it comes to weighted proximity, ball striking, uh, bogey avoidance, and par four scoring. And I'm ready to finally back Mito Pereira to some extent on DraftKings at 8,100. It's a really good price for a golfer that has demonstrated a high floor early in his career. And I think the fact that we get him at a price tag outside of the top 20 golfers only enhances his ceiling uh, because we don't need as up much upside from him to zoom past his salary. So, you know, as you can tell, John is very happy by that uh, decision there with it. But uh, that's what I'm going to be doing this week. I like it. I like it. John, tell us who you like in here in this range. Yeah. Hashtag me too. Uh, I'm with you on me too. Um, yeah. I, you know, Mito is he's showing me what unconditional love is because every time Mito disappoints, I'm like, yeah, but, and I see the good in it and I, I'm always optimistic and I look past his flaws and I see his potential and every, you know, the Mito bandwagon coming out of the Olympics, coming off of the three corn ferry tour wins last year. It was, it was a party. Everybody was on board. Everybody was playing Mito. And he's had a couple weeks in a row where it's sort of like longer, hitter like off the tee favored 
ball striking courses where he really should have done better and, and he's not hitting putts. And slowly the bandwagon is, is short, sort of slowing down. Um, I have bet Mito in every tournament he's played in since the Olympics, I think. We're going on like six in a row. I bet him this week at 60 to one. I'm going to play him in DFS at 8,100. I think Mito Pereira is exactly the same player that uh, Victor Hovland is right now. If you look at their uh, distance stats, their accuracy stats, their approach stats off the tee, all of it, it's almost identical. They're like one, two in every stat or top 10 in all of them. Um, their shortcomings are their short game. Mito's a little bit better around the green. I mean, the entire tour is a little better than Victor right now, but overall, um, Mito has been a better profile of an around the green player than Hovland, and Hovland's been a, a slightly better putter. Um, something that I know you guys talked about at the Zozo that I think is still applicable here is when you play on very smooth, grainless, well manicured greens, it levels the playing field for the poor putters. And something that Spencer and I were talking about yesterday is I think where, where that manifests itself is the bad putters lose their strokes inside seven feet or five feet. Um, you lose a lot of strokes that way. Just the way that the strokes gain works, you're supposed to hit a five for more than 50% of the time. And if you miss it, then you've lost nearly a full stroke. Um, on a smooth green that doesn't have a ton of slope, it's hard to miss those putts. So I think you, when you miss less of those, the weaker putters tend to just not lose those strokes that they normally would on like a power green or something. Um, to the same extent, we've seen a lot of success on these greens from great putters. And I think where that manifests itself is if you're standing over a 20, 25 footer and you're a Denny McCarthy or a Pat and Kazire, you're very confident that you can hit that putt because there's not a lot of complication in it. So I, I think that's what, when we see in the reports that, a lot of bad putters do well here and a lot of great putters do well here. I think that's why we sort of see that disparity, but uh, it, it's a week that I do want to load up on a couple of really good tee to green players. I think we're buying low Amito. I don't think he was horrible last week. We don't have stroke scan at Bermuda, but he had a top 30. He was just fine. We don't know how many putts he missed. I'm assuming he just continued to miss more putts. Um, but the last thing I'll say in defense of Mito um, if you look at strokes gained percent by a round instead of just strokes gained total, he is gaining in more rounds than he is losing. So over the last 30, uh, over the last 24 rounds, he's gained 14 times and lost 10. Um, so that's something that I like to look into a little bit deeper. Sometimes if you just purely look at strokes game putting, a guy can lose five strokes in a round and it takes him months to be a positive putter again. So every now and then I'll go into Fantasy National and go by the individual rounds and just take a little peek behind the curtain and see what's actually happening here. Uh, Mito's had a lot of horrible rounds, but he's also had plenty of plus rounds. So if he's capable of putting a couple plus rounds together, I'm going to be there. Um, so yeah, I, you know, and I'm biased because I'm always going to bet Mito, but that's my case for him. Um, and yeah, and, and as you guys said, a lot of good options in the AK range. I don't think there's a single guy in this AK range that I could talk anybody out of, but Mito's my favorite. I have a question, Joel, because I'm I'm pretty big on Sergio this week, and it's partly because of the theory that, or I guess we actually have some some data behind this that you know Team No Putt can can at least has the potential to succeed here. Um, Sergio's putter, I believe, has kind of improved over the last four or five tournaments for whatever that's worth. But Sergio's a guy. I mean, speaking to T to Green, I mean, he he seems like the perfect fit at a course like this. Any thoughts? And I, Isaiah shares that view. He's in he's in our chat. Um, 
Obviously, he's on Team Sergio, maybe on Team No Pup this week. Um, John, what are your thoughts on Sergio and, and, and Joel or Spencer, any of you guys playing him this week? Yeah, I think uh, – actually, I was watching Sergio's feature group in uh, at the RBC Heritage um, at Harbortown, and he he had a rough go there. And, and what happened was he, he – the round kind of got away from him, and then he took some, like, really aggressive lines, and it got worse. Um, so in my head, I'm like, don't play Sergio on a tight course because I saw that one thing happen, but that's usually not a good way to handicap it. I haven't given a, a ton of thought to Sergio this week, to be honest. I, I kind of like Fitzpatrick better um, right above him. It, with Sergio, I'm concerned that, like, and, and you mentioned that the putting's kind of getting better. I haven't really looked too much into that, but I'm just watching Sergio putt it doesn't look like he's capable of finding the hole sometimes. Like it, he doesn't look like he's due for regression when he's out there. I was sweating mm -hmm. in at the 3M open and I was like, this, there's no way he's going to hit this five footer that he has. He's standing over and in, in his body language is like, get me off this course. I'm tired of trying <laughs> to hit these five footers. So I have a lot of scar tissue, I guess is, is the problem with me and Sergio. It's hard for positive regression when you're putting with your eyes closed as Sergio <laughs> is. So that's not helping the situation. But the one thing I will say about Sergio, and I like him less than everybody that I name. So take that whole group. I have him beneath all those guys. But if you look at the $8,000 golfers and above, Sergio is the biggest model difference I have when it comes to my rank versus ownership percentage. I'm looking at about 5% on him right now. Uh, I have a very big edge in GPPs if you do want to take a shot. So I don't have a problem with anybody who wants to play him, but I do think there's a lot of volatility that's going to go into that play. And that's fine. I mean, if you're trying to separate a lineup with a guy like answer or anything like that, I mean, you throw in Sergio and you're all, all of a sudden very different to begin with that. And, and Joel, before you give us your opinion on, on Sergio, I do want to point out his putting over the last, let's say six tournaments, Minus 0.37, not bad. Minus 1.32, not bad for Sergio. Minus 0.12, plus 5.23, plus 0.84. And then it was pretty bad before that. So it, it's clearly not, hasn't been awful. The one thing I will qualify that with is his approach game hasn't been classic Sergio lately. But again, it looks like the putter might be doing okay. Joel, anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, I think, you know, listen, I normally, I'm a, I'm a Sergio guy. I would normally like to go to Sergio. Uh, my concern for this week is um, it's the price tag, really. It's, you know, Sergio is a guy that's a 7K golfer that gets overlooked that I want to put in and be like, you know, no one's playing Sergio. I'm getting a discount, right? Right now at 8.7, he's got to be, you know, your 1B, your second tier guy, which, mm -hmm. you know, is not how I want to use him. So I'm not saying I won't play any shares of him. I'll probably sprinkle him in, but. I won't be overweight on Sergio just because I just think, you know, Sergio's a guy I look for as value, and at this price, he's not valued. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair description of that. Like, when I look at what's value, it's closer than you would think when it comes to, like, if he was in the lower thousands, I think I'd be a little angry, but my upside, my potential of why I like him comes from that contrarian nature with him. But I think that makes sense. You don't have to go to him. It's not something that's a requirement. I mean, you could also play Tyler Duncan and Kyle Stanley and be good to go and just stack up top. Stand out there. <laughs> the number of putts you have missed if you play Kyle Stanley and Sergio Garcia is honestly, if you're going to watch the tournament, don't do it. I'm, I'm concerned for your health. You're going to have a heart attack. You'll I'm never play again. You yeah, you'll, it'll be so frustrating. So 
just for your sheer entertainment, don't play both Stanley and Sergio because <laughs> that's going to cause you to have some some heart issues. <laughs> so I should I should take him off my first round leader card, which is coming at the end of this show. <laughs> first round leader is okay because you you don't have to choke one of the days, right? You know it's fine. You can make a few putts one day. So not all. Of uh, awesome guys, I love it. Let's go. Let's head down. Let's keep this trucking along. Uh, is there anything before we move on? Are we missing anything from the eight K range? Uh, not on my end. I mean, I'm not going to play any Ricky. I'll tell you that right now. Um, we didn't address Russell Henley. Uh, his history here is quite bad, uh, considering he seems to be a great course fit. I don't really know how to explain that. I know we're not necessarily super focused on course history. Um, but with that said, I, I still kind of like him. I mean, I, I certainly don't hate Russell Henley. Yeah, I like Henley a lot. I mean, he might be a better outright bet than anything, but I think he's playable across the board. Yeah, my take on Henley, and it's kind of, I know it's its like the opposite of my take on Sergio. It's kind of like there aren't all that many value plays, right? So once you get below 8.5, you know, in the low 8K, 7Ks, there's probably 15 to 20 guys I'm considering there. So he's one of them, right? This is a guy who does have that top 15 upside who you can get into your roster for, what is he, 8,200. Um, and he's, you know, he fits the mold and then he should be accurate. The history is a little concerning, but Russell Henley is the type of guy that will go three months where he misses every cut. And then he'll go three months where he's playing like a top 20 player in the world. So right now we're getting the better version of Henley. So it's a time to go after him. I wouldn't be over concerned with the history portion of him. Hey, so Joel, before we get to the, where are we going to the 7K range now? Yeah, we are. Yeah. So I have plenty more questions for John, but but I want to, instead of doing questions, I want to do the looks like game just real quick. I want to do three looks like, do you guys know what the looks like game is from the Levitard show? I feel like they invented it. Do you know what that is? No. They pick like a random celebrity, uh, could be anybody. And they basically say like, they take a picture of them and they're like, this guy looks like such and such. And it's something completely ridiculous. It's not like looks like this other person. It's just like a very, it's very descriptive. And anyway, I came up with a few things. I literally did it right before the show. So they're not very good. And honestly, Joel and Spencer and I, John, I think you're familiar with that bit at the Levitard show, but um, you guys probably won't laugh and maybe nobody will laugh, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I have three looks like, uh, three looks likes, look likes. Yeah. For, uh, for John, for PGA top. So let's start. Are you, are you ready, John? Hit me. I hope you're not insulted. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to call you John. I'm going to call you PGA Tout because it's better for the bit. PGA Tout looks like the guy at the driving range who hits a perfect drive and then looks over at a random person next to him and says, yeah, that just happened. I've absolutely done that. Like, <laughs> usually I do that. Okay. So, next one. PGA Tout looks like the guy who speeds up to make sure someone doesn't merge into his lane and then says, maybe next time, brah, knowing no one can hear him. No, so it's, nothing. it's actually it's a funny story with that. I I drive my girlfriend's Volkswagen Beetle, um, and it's like a tiny little red bug. And I'm usually driving my own SUV, but we moved to this apartment, so I, I got her car. And I get cut off all the time now. I have no respect on the road anymore, so I am constantly moving up because people are itching to cut me off. Nice. All right. I'm glad that you're relevant. Out. You're two for two right now. Okay. Last one. PGA Tout looks like the guy who walks an old lady across the street and then gives her his phone number and says, you call me if you need anything. That's just a nice compliment. It is. It, I couldn't go with two nice like thing say. douchey things. I, so I figured I'd, I'd round it out with something good. Okay. So carry on, guys. I, that, that's my time. I love it. I love it. All right. Spence, why don't you kick us off here in the, uh, in the 7K range? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll keep the answer uh, really short and to the point here. So of, of players I'm considering, and there's going to be a couple more. I mean, obviously you can use the model that I released. You can get a better idea of some of them. But uh, Justin Rose, 7,900. I think that's GPP only, but I, I always like him on short courses with slow greens. Seamus Power, that's my boy, 7,700. I know I keep stressing this point on all the shows I do, but Seamus is an elite statistical golfer, that, and he has been for the past year. I think Emiliano Grillo, there's there's a lot of ownership there at 7,500. I'm not in love with that, but it's hard to say too much bad about him on this track. Uh, four top 15s in his last five tries. Ian Poulter, 7,500, looks to be one of the better contrarian pivots. He's currently a small favorite over Seamus in the head-to-head market at four times less ownership. That's a great way to find leverage. And then Brian Harmon, 7,300, is in the same boat I just mentioned with uh, Grillo there. And, you know, they're both minus 110 in a battle against each other. And that's 2% versus 14%. So I think that Vegas and the sports books are kind of giving you an indication that Harmon and Greer are, are on the same playing field to an extent there. And you have one guy that's 2% and one that's 14%. I think Dominic Norlander makes sense as popular uh, price tags uh, with what you're going to get there. Still might be able to be used for his driving prowess at 7,000. But my favorite play is Kevin Streelman at 7,200. I have a proper price of him being in the mid-8,000s. He's a positive value for me across the board in all game types, although the real value is coming from his upside in GPPs. He ranks 10th overall from a statistical perspective. is 14th in the weighted proximity range I ran that somewhat mimics this event. I love it. I love it. See ya. Who about you? Who are you looking at here in the 7K range? I actually have to say a few players that I actually like. Just real quick, I'm just going to run through them, and then I have like four or five more questions. Uh, okay, so let's see. Yeah, I love I love Seamus Power, so I, I'm all in there. Um, Emiliano Grillo, I really like, especially if you're going with the the sort of the team no putt narrative. Strelman, I like. I think I like Russell Knox better, but I, I like both of those guys. As I go down the list, I think Brendan Todd is interesting, even though uh, if memory serves, last week he wasn't so hot. Uh, and then I agree, Joel Damon, I, I think is is a solid i thought he'd be a contrarian play i'm seeing some ownership on him mm-hmm. and then maybe henrik norlander that that's pretty much rounds out my 7k um a few questions that's for weird. you for you john i've never heard you, you mention uh, norlander before <laughs> yeah i know it's so weird uh, wait till we get to the 6k range i'll i'll stay uh, kyle stanley like five more times uh favorite mm-hmm. actor john um oh favorite actor um who's the guy oscar isaac is actually popping out to me because i just watched dune and i was like I'm feeling it. Awesome. Okay. What what's uh seven times eight plus five? Sixty one. Six sixty one. There you go. Nice, nice save. <laughs> uh do you hate people that spell John without an H? I do. And uh, I hate what, people who spell my name without an H even more. Right? Uh what follows the line just throw your hands in the air? Wave it like you just don't care. Yeah. Uh, do you play fantasy football? Yes. Red grapes or green grapes? I always consider them purple. Okay. Purple grapes or green grapes? I'm a purple grape guy. Fair enough. Uh, last one for this round, Brooks or Bryson? Um, I have reversed back to Bryson. I was OG Brooks, and now I'm back on Bryson's team. Wow. He's won me over. Wow. Uh, Joel, real quick. Spencer, real quick. Brooks or Bryson? Bryson. I'm going to go. I'm sticking with Brooks. There we go. All right. Some, somebody also, talking some sense. Um, Young the Giant is my answer to uh, underrated band. All right. I'll just came back to me. All right. Uh, that's my time. I will add, though, even though I said Brooks, I'm taking Dave Portnoy when they play golf against each other. 
Nice. Yeah, for sure. Got to see that line. <laughs> it's got to be minus 35 strokes, sir. <laughs> I, actually, I'd probably still think plus. <laughs> All right. Uh, set, we're on the 7K range. Um, I'll go ahead. I'm going to start. I'm going to go through here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I really love Seamus Power. I think, you know, he's a guy that I just think, you know, people still look at him as kind of like a JV corn fairy guy. And he's not. He's really he's really came into his own this year, especially. Um, and I think he's just underpriced here at 7,700. I think he's a good value. He's someone that definitely has top 10 upside. Um, I think in the same vein, Neiman, Neiman is not necessarily a great course fit for me, but he's one of those guys that, you know, is just a higher class or caliber golfer than you most of what you get in the 7K range. So if he has a week where, you know, he's hitting it accurately off the tee, I think he can really uh, do well here. Ian Poulter looks really good. I think Poulter's coming kind of having like a breakthrough season, like, He's not obviously winning a ton of tournaments, but he's been placing really well. He can get really hot with the putter, and he does find fairway. So I think a lot of things point in the right direction for Poulter. At pretty low ownership and a reasonable price tag, um, I, I will look for him. You guys know how I am. I don't like to go back to a guy who just won a tournament. So for Herbert, I'll probably be out, uh, especially he doesn't seem like to be a great course fit here anyway. But um, we can stick to – you know, this range, some, some, the last couple guys that I might consider down at the bottom here are Brian Harmon, who, uh, you know, has really came into one of his better seasons at, in a long time. The course history, or at least the course fit, rather, should be pretty good. Uh, at 7,300, I think he makes a lot of sense. And then down here at the bottom of this range, someone to keep an eye on or think about, we saw, I, I'm, I am aligned with Strillman, but the guy I want to mention is Taylor Pendrith. We saw him last week really compete. He kind of I don't know if it was pressure or just like the weird conditions that kind of threw him off where he fell apart at the end, but he was looking really good. I think he can put together another good week here. I think he's playing some good golf and you're certainly getting a good price tag on him. So um, that's it for me in the seven K range. Are we missing anyone? I have a, I have a trivia question for you guys. Ooh, like um, can you name the only shot link strokes gained event that was played on past pollen greens? Well, it, a Puerto Rico Open? Nope. Although technically on a technicality, they should have it. But right. It's, it's not in the, I guess it's not in the continental U.S. Right. I don't know if I know the answer. I have no idea. It's actually not correctly listed in Fantasy National, but the answer is Kiowa Island uh, Ocean Course. And my follow-up question is, can you guess who is averaging 11.7 strokes gained on past pollen rounds in the history of the shot link era. Wow. Um, I'm assuming it's somebody it's in this range. range. I'm having memories of my school days where it's like, I feel unprepared <laughs> for the test. I didn't study enough. <laughs> well, I'll, how do you I'll, think I feel? All, all <laughs> I'll, I'll say, I'll give you a guess. I'll say Brendan Steele. I've got a guess too. Uh, Carlos Ortiz. Joel? I got nothing. Um, I don't know. We've got a guess from the chat here. No. Not JT, not Pat Perez. The answer. Pat Perez is a pretty good guess. Justin Rose. Justin oh, Rose wow. gained over 11 strokes, the only event that we've ever seen data putting on Pass Palom. 
Um, so you can only assume he'll gain another 11 at uh, Mayakoba. And if he does that, he's going to win by about 15 strokes. So um, <laughs> I like Justin Rose, not really for that reason. That's just a fun fact, but um, he seems to play these sh- shorter courses well, uh, it puts well on, on the slower greens um, and has been putting together a good little uh, stretch on the European tour, which is something I ignored week over week until Lucas Herbert won. And now I have to overreact to that and look deep into Euro tour stats from here going out. Uh, and Jesse, we already, uh, oh, sorry, I have the wrong one. We already answered the question of, is a hot dog a sandwich? You must have come into the show late. That's really funny, though, that you wanted to ask him that. I don't know if that's, if he's just playing with us. But uh, do you play video games, John? If so, greatest golf video game of all time? Uh, I mean, those OG Tiger Woods games, I can't really differentiate year over year. But I spent a lot of time playing the, the Tiger Woods games. Are you currently a PlayStation or Xbox guy or neither? Uh, I'm an Xbox guy. I don't play as often as I used to. I actually ironically put the time that I used to spend uh, playing Xbox into the, the website. So <laughs> all my free time went into that. Uh, real quick, though, what what is the website exactly so people know to go to it? The website is thepgatout.com. See, it's not the John uh, <laughs> Halsbauer. It's the PGA Tout. See, that's what we should call you. <laughs> Correct. Branding, man. Branding 101. All right. Sorry. Carry on. I love it. I love it. Good stuff, guys. Um, all right. We're going to round out this pool here with the 6K range. Um, you know, for me, in the 6K range this week, I don't want to dip down here too much. Right? If I sprinkle one guy into some of my labs, I'll do that. But I'm going back here. The more and more we realize, guys, the more we play, you realize if you don't get six of six through, your weekend's over. And so – I know like when you're building your lineup, it's like, well, maybe this guy will make the cut. And then, you know, you pray for it and then it doesn't happen. And then you look back like, I don't have any six of six because I kept taking too many chances. So I'm not going to make that mistake. Maybe a couple sprinkles, but for the most part, you know, I don't think we have to dip down here too much. Um, John, do you want to kick us off? Who do you like down here in the 6K range? Yeah, sure. Um, I think if – if I want to go dig down deep here for salary relief in a six of six lineup, my favorite cheap guy is Tyler Duncan. Um, Tyler Duncan has played this event four times and made the cut every time he's gained strokes off the tee in 10 consecutive events, which is a wild run for a guy like Tyler Duncan to be on. Uh, he had a T 14 in his last start at Sanderson farms and the first two events of this new season, he's looked good. He's averaging uh, gaining strokes in all four categories over those first two events. Um, he doesn't have a super high ceiling with the irons. I think at best you, he really just stays within plus or plus or minus one stroke in on approach. I don't think this is a must uh, approach week. I mean, every we, approach is important every single week, but you can hit some long putts here. So I, I think if you're just hitting greens and and it's so much easier to do that if you're playing from out of the fairway, which he does well, uh, Tyler Duncan is the guy that I like a lot. Um, I also like Guido at the top of the 6K range. I I don't know a ton about him, to be honest, but I, you know he caught my attention with, with the run that he was on at the U.S. Open and then followed it up at the Travelers with the T14. Um, I live bet him last week at the Bermuda um, and the reason he tail spend is, is directly correlated with that. Um, so I'm not going to hold that against him. I have a terrible live betting track record. So, um, that was inevitable. I should have known better. And I apologize to Guido for putting that on him, but, 
Uh, yeah, he was T15 going into the final round. He finished like T50 because he played in torrential downpour, um, which, you know, that's again, that that's my fault. So um, I think he can bounce back here. He's just a good player, good player, good off the tee player. Again, everything that I'm looking at this week is your first shot. Can you keep it in play and can you get yourself in position to score it? And then, you know, all bets are off. But those are my two favorite guys in the six carriage. Just curious before kind of we make our lives of the week, do you have any ideas of who you might be live betting this week to make sure we face? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I always hope to not have to live bet. A live bet is like a desperation reload where I am going. Like this week, I had nobody inside the top 40 at Bermuda, which has never happened to me on my on my betting card. So uh, it's always a desperation play to live bet. I tr- really try not to do it unless I absolutely have to. Fair. Fair. Well, if you do this week, let me know who so that we know to be prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone will know. <laughs> me. See ya, see ya. Who are you looking at down here in the 6K range? All right, so I'll, I'll give you some guys here. Uh, I really like Chris Kirk. Uh, and by the way, and for, for the reasons that he's a really good course fit, but also if you look at his odds, I mean, they're right up there with the guys in like the 73, 74, 7,500 range. So that kind of tells you where the, you know, the sports book, sports books perceive him. And I'm honestly surprised he's at 6,700. Even if I didn't see the odds, I'd be surprised by that. Um, a couple other kind of random flyers. Doug Gim is interesting. He was brought up in the chat by Isaiah. I, I don't know what happened to him. His ball striking just kind of went away. If you guys have an opinion on him, I, I'd love to hear it. JJ Spawn, I think, is interesting. He's not playing poorly. I think he's a good course fit. I agree with Tyler Duncan. And I'm going to take a shot at Kyle Stanley. So I think those are the only guys I'm really interested in. I think Jimmy Walker is interesting because he's starting to play well again. And I think he's a very good course fit. So that's that's where I'm going. But honestly, Chris Kirk is the one I'm actually super confident in. And I'll co-sign with Guido Migliosi. That seems like a little bit of a misprice there. Um, I've got like four more questions for John. John, you ready? Always. All right. Um, you do work. You do some work with the Showtime people, correct? False. HBO. False. HBO. Okay. <laughs> My bad. Uh, what's your favorite show on HBO? Historically, too. It doesn't have to be current. Um. Game of Thrones is like my tiger answer. Like it doesn't really count. Um, the I would say, well, I, I I guess Hard Knocks is something I really like. I, I've worked on that every year for the last like six years, um, and that's something that I do like actually like clear my plans every Tuesday to like be there watching it. So I think they do a great job with that. They they win a lot of awards for it. And I would say a sneaky show that maybe not everybody has seen from a few years ago. One of the first shows I worked on. Uh, at HBO is the night of. Um, oh my god, that's one of my my favorite series of all time. It was just so one good. season, right? Yeah, it was just a limited one time limited series, but one of my favorites. Oh, by far one of my favorites. Um, did you all hear like the name dropping there that John was just super showing off? Um, what do you mean when you say I worked on Hard Knocks and the Night of? So I work in advertising. So if, if you've ever seen an ad for an HBO show, I'm I'm the one placed planning and placing the ads. Um, so for hard knocks, we have some good stories with hard knocks for the Cleveland, um, the year it was with the Browns, uh, was the year that LeBron, uh, left and the LeBron mural was vacant for a couple of weeks. And we pushed for months to try to get like a hard knocks banner to replace the LeBron mural. Um, and they were asking for like a hundred million dollars for two weeks. Um, so we ended up buying the second largest wall in Cleveland, which is like the size of a garage. 
um and the way that it was shot in the title sequence of hard knocks that season uh makes it look like we actually bought the real wall but it was actually all superimposed so um uh, never dull moment with with hard knocks wow that's are you on set ever no no especially now um this is my office in my gotcha and that's my bed so uh everything i do is is over email and stuff but um, yeah, every now and then maybe a premiere event or something, but, um, I'm not actually like shooting stuff. No, I'm, I'm just advertising still though. What a show off. Um, do you like the cuisine at Boston market? Yes or no? Nah, it's not really for me. Um, I, I, I like the mashed potatoes and gravy. That's, that's decent, but the quality of, of the chicken and the turkey there, I can live without it. That's the wrong answer. Oh, uh, you guys like Boston market, right? Spencer, Joel? I don't think I've ever had it before. I'm going to be honest with you, see, I actually think he gave the exact right answer. I think oh they do gosh. good sides. I don't love the actual chicken. I think You get the awesome. mashed potato. Listen, you get the mashed potatoes with the stuffing and you get a half dark chicken or a quarter dark, whatever, you know, however hungry you are. And you kind of like mix them together. It's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. True. I think this coincides with the Christmas Thanksgiving take where it's, it's Thanksgiving cuisine and I don't need it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, speaking of food, uh, McDonald's fries and Wendy's fries, which one for cash and which one for GPP? There's a right answer here. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Wendy's cash. Uh, Wendy's gives you a very consistent crisp. You very rarely get a soggy Wendy's fry. McDonald's, if you get the golden crisp, you get a nice crunch, but there's always a handful of soggy ones at the bottom. Very anti-soggy guy, but I'm also very anti, like way too crispy where you're not really getting anything out of it. McDonald's will sometimes do that. Burger King is really the worst with that. They have a lot of just pure crisp fries, but a great McDonald's fry rules them all. So Joel, that's interesting because I thought he was going to say McDonald's for cash and Wendy's for GPP. What's your answer there? So the, there's two different ways, right? That this is an interesting question, right? If you're asking for French fries alone, I think he is correct. I think it's McDonald's for the GPP when these are the safer cash play. If it's the restaurant as a whole, I flip the answer. McDonald's is my cash fast food restaurant. Wendy's is my GPP fast food restaurant. Interesting. So in terms take of here. the atmosphere? I think the it's the overall time. menu, right? Where you can like, you can hit a home run on the spicy chicken. You can go with a yes, burger. I'm, you can go. I'm not trying to incorporate more metrics into the model. I'm literally just asking for this basic stat, like Wendy's fries, uh, isolated. See, it. Do, you you watch our show? Like Do you not hear Spencer? It takes all the metrics to win the tournament. You can't just isolate one metric. You won't win okay. the tournament. Spencer, what's your answer? Uh, Wendy's fries, McDonald's fries, GPP cash. I'm going to take a different route with it. Um, I'm going to buck the trend of what we're doing here or what the game is. It's McDonald's for both. But I mean, if you, <laughs> if you make me separate the two McDonald's cash, Wendy's GPP, but it's McDonald's for both. I would I'm rather shocked. just lay them across the board. I'm shocked because it, to me, it's McDonald's for cash all day. It's just kind of like the go-to. It's simple. You kind of know what you're getting. Mm. With, with Wendy's fries, you don't really know what you're getting. You don't know if the cut is going to be super thick or super thin. And it's one of those things where it has a ton of upside because if it's the perfect cut and the perfect crisp, it dwarfs McDonald's fries. To me, it's a no-brainer GPP for Wendy's. I, I actually, the, I'm shocked. The, the trick behind it is just order the fries without salt at McDonald's and then you get them cooked fresh and, and then you can put them on yourself. How dare you? I That's... very rarely get a good six to six handful at McDonald's. Yeah, I'll say that it's not. Yeah. Safe. You're well, getting dog in there. The odds are not in your favor. 
See, it's I gonna don't be, know how you there's gonna be volatility, movie. obviously. The the HBO advertise guy literally gave McDonald's advertisement on Spencer to push them right here on the show, and you missed that whole thing. You didn't even see it. Spencer was paid by John <laughs> to say that. That was easy. Come on. Oh, by the yeah, way, Nick Millions is another good HBO documentary that I would highly recommend. What? Which one? What's it called? It's called McMillions. It's about uh, these group of guys who um, they they beat the system of the McDonald's monopoly. Game, oh, I saw that. I saw and that. And they yeah. won like millions off of it. They're affiliated with the mob. It's a crazy story. Very it's good. fascinating. I would recommend watching it. Um, that, that's my time. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it. Um, I'm gonna. I'll go ahead. The six K range. Someone we didn't mention that I like a lot, Steven Yeager. Um, he is, you know, pretty affordable. Not a lot of ownership. He hits fairways. Tied for 20s at Bermuda. He has the tie for 16th here last year. This was a guy we were talking about last week. I mean, it was a much more JV pool. But uh, this is a guy we were talking about last week as one of the better options. He's now way priced down. I think he's getting overlooked. I actually like him a good deal. Uh, after him, I like uh, Spencer's boy. Sorry to steal your thunder. Ryan Moore from... Vegas, you know, he's another guy who's very accurate off the tee. Uh, he shouldn't get himself in too much trouble. At 6,700, I don't think he'll find a lot of danger. He also does have a decent course history, but um, we're talking kind of a long time ago, so I don't want to put too much weight on that. Um, other than that, maybe a, the couple, maybe the last couple guys that I'll mention are, are Ches Reedy, uh, who is another guy who's known to be pretty accurate off the tee. You know, at 6,600, it's hard to find a better price than that. And the last guy I'll mention, who I don't love, but, you know, at 6,500, Martin Laird, who we've seen pop from time to time. He got 11th at the Shriners. Uh, he should be a good course fit here. So a handful of guys down here that we can we can sprinkle in, but none of these guys I would be overly confident. Anyone else in the 6K range that we may have missed? Uh, I'll run through a couple people. Um you know, I have a little bit of a different opinion than you do, Joel, this week. I really like this $6,000 range. I think that you could go across the board and there's playable options. And I don't want to name all the guys that were just mentioned. I think more Jaeger, Guido. I think all those guys make sense. I think you can fit them in the lineups. I like Tom Hoagie at 6,900, third place here last season. Four top 36 finishes over his past five starts on the PGA Tour. I think Ryan Palmer makes some sense as a contrarian dart throw at 6,900, especially if he continues down this track of being 1% owned. Uh, the current form is questionable, having failed to post a top 40 over his past four starts. But I think he's too good of a golfer to be in this range. There's a ton of missed cut potential, which this is where you're going with it, Joel. Like this could be the one that burns you with it. But I think if you're playing one of these really large field GPPs, I mean, at, like my model has him at 0.8% owned right now. Like if you play a couple you know, lineups with them in it. It's not going to take much to get overweight. I think Charles Howell and Scott Piercy are tough to ignore at that same price of 6,900. They've combined for seven top 26s at the property over their past nine starts. Uh, I love Sia's call of Chris Kirk. I think he is probably the best play in this section. Uh, Ches Reavy 6,600 falls into that same category of Howell and Piercy. And I like Graham McDowell at 6,600. Um, I have him as my biggest advantage in over ownership versus rank. The data is extremely hit and miss for him on my spreadsheet, but he ranks inside the top 30 as a golfer that is less than 1% owned. I guess the other name I will throw out there is just your random throw a dart, hope for the best with it in something. Eugenio Lopez Chikara, $6,000. I don't know what my spreadsheet is seeing in him to make him inside the top 50 in GPP volatility. He does rank 110th for safety. Uh, but he is currently projected to be virtually 0% owned. So 
if you're playing 150 lineups, you could throw them into a couple there. And, you know, if you get a top 20 out of him, all of a sudden you're going to be the only person in the world with them. I'm pretty sure, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that name because I don't have it in front of me. Isaiah wrote the first look article this week uh, for windailysports.com. I'm pretty sure at the bottom of it, he actually had him as, as a dart throw. I love so, it. I think it's a really interesting just here, out there play. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing that you guys both brought him up. So anyway, amazing. Who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's currently – I could be wrong. I think he's currently at um, – I think he's in college. Um, okay. Or at least he was last season. He's an amateur. Yes. Okay. I believe so. Well, good for him. At least, at the very least, if he doesn't win the tournament, he gets a trip to Mexico. So, you know, listen, I didn't get a lot of trips to Mexico when I was in college, so I'm happy for him. Um, All right. Well, before we wrap this up, let's take a look at the outright market. Um, To kick us off, Spence, who are you looking at for outrights? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a week where a lot of these prices have shifted. So I I say some of these with, the understanding that the prices aren't exactly what they were. Very first bet I made was Abraham answer at 27 to one. That's down to about 15 to one at some books. And I know that's going to be tough to condone that price, but uh, for whatever it's worth, my model believes 16, 17 to one, that 16 and a half to one range is the correct price on him. Uh, I'm not an answer guy, as I've noted numerous times on that. So uh, if I'm on answer and my model likes answer, I think that says something. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick, 40 to one. Russell Henley, 60 to one, Kevin Streelman, 80 to one, Brian Harmon, 90 to one, Chris Kirk, a hundred to one. And my dark horse is Graham McDowell at 200 to one. I like it. I like it. John, who you got for outrights this week? Um, I, I left a little um, space on my card to just get one last, you know, maybe you guys could persuade me. So, uh, right now, the card is uh, starts same as Spencer with uh, answer at 27. I have Mito, of course, at 60 to 1, uh, Russell Henley at 66 to 1, and Kevin Streelman at 100 to 1. Um, I will be adding two of these three guys. So maybe you guys give me a little advice here. I haven't narrowed down between Matt Fitzpatrick at 40 to 1. Joaquin Neiman at 50 to one and Justin Rose at 60 to one. You guys have any leans there? I had, um, I, I had to narrow down my outright card from, I just wanted to narrow it down to like four people for some reason. And Fitzpatrick was the last man out. Uh, so, I mean, I, I obviously like that play to a degree. That's sort of where I'm leaning right now. Cause it's really just a pure value for the guy who was the odds on favorite last week. Mm-hmm. Pretty good top course. And we've seen, Brendan Todd come win back to back. So if you were expected to do well the week before, he looked very good. I thought last week and the weather's random. So I don't, I don't think he did anything to make me feel like he's any worse this week than, than we should have thought about him last week. I think 41 is a good number and he's a guy that can hit a lot of putts and pretty good off the tee. So just, just a value number I was thinking about um, a couple other guys that I just like that. I may not bet, but maybe I'll, top 10, but I think Russell Knox, 101 makes a lot of sense. Really good. Maybe the best course history. Um, few guys are more reliable to hit fairways than Russell Knox. Um, and Hen- Henrik Stenson, uh, see ya, if you want to do a Henrik cage match and you want to put something, put a little friendly wager down, your Henrik versus my Henrik. Oh, uh, nice. 
I'm pretty confident in Stenson. He it, it cannot compete on long courses. I don't think he plays with a driver. I'm, I'm pretty sure he only goes as, as far as a three wood, which after I played this course, I was like, I shouldn't even brought the driver. So that had me thinking about Stenson again, like uh, Lucas Herbert was good on, on the Euro tour. So I looked at Euro tour history. Stenson has two top fives in his last four starts um, at the Euro tour, which I thought was crazy because you look on fantasy national, it's, it's all red. Uh, but he seems to have figured something out at the end of last year. This will be his first start. He won at um, the Hero Challenge, was his last win um, in the Bahamas, similar conditions. So uh, I think he can. I think he knows how to figure out the island resort situation. Is here with his buddy Justin Rose, having a good time. Um, I probably won't bet him either, but a, a guy that I like him will probably be in a few uh, DFS lineups. I like it. I like it. Uh, see ya. Who are you looking at here in the outright market? So just real quick, I know we're going long, but this is interesting. He, he, uh, Bobby wanted to get into the video game conversation, even though we were talking about golf, but that cheat code actually, which people, my age and Bobby's age are familiar with, you left out two steps, uh, select start is how you finish that cheat code. And this is amazing. Uh, Isaiah, he typed this before Spencer gave his answer on the fries. And by the way, he's the same guy who had the who had the guy written up that none of us had ever heard of that Spencer just talked about. So, by the way, you guys are like best friends now. And there was one other comment, Ivan. Thanks for appreciating. And then Isaiah, thanks for appreciating the fast food analysis. Okay, real quick, I'll just be super quick. My outrights are: I just love Fitz off at forty to one, Sergio Garcia at fifty to one, Mito sixty to one, Sheamus sixty, and Chris Kirk at ninety. Those are my four outrights. I like that card too. I'm going to be quick as well. I actually, one of my, my favorite plays is actually Fitzpatrick. I like him this week. I think that number just seems too good for him. Someone who was the favorite last week. I think he should be close to the top five or 10. And then I'm doing one of those weeks where instead of putting out five guys, I'm going to try and consolidate, take a, a swing at the fences. I'm going to have one long shot that I'm going to really go for. And it's going to be Steven Yeager at 130 to one. Uh, that's it for the outright market. And now this is where we make our real money. Um, we're going to take all the money we have. I don't know, John, if you've seen or you know what we do here. But basically, we are pretty much perfect with first-round leaders. I think our record is either – it's like 100% or like 30%, something like that. It's Whatever a thousand percent. Yeah, because after you, you have to hit 100% a certain number of times, it becomes a thousand percent. So there's no risk. So nah. basically, whatever we say, you just put all your money on. It's a lock, right? Mortgage your home because why would you need – why would you have that money sitting in your home when you could put it on the bet that's going to hit in a couple of days? Investing. So we're giving you guys locks. You're welcome. We do this for free. So, you know, I, I think you would be nice, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and we'll start with Spencer. Who you got in the first round leader market? Uh, so I have six plays this week. Ryan Moore, 130 to one. That's on DraftKings. Ryan Palmer, 100 to one. That is also on DraftKings. Emiliano Grio, 80 to one on FanDuel. Carlos Ortiz, 75 to 1 on FanDuel. Kevin Streelman, 75 to 1 on DraftKings. And Graham McDowell, 110 to 1 on DraftKings. I like it. You like this. You like Graham McDowell. I heard him a couple of times. All right. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, John, first round leader, who you like? Um, I haven't bet them yet, but I'll just rattle off some names that I like. I'm definitely tailing Grio. He's, he's a. Coastal elite Emiliano Grino is what I always call him. You always play Grio on the coast, and he has great history here. 80 to 1 is a crazy number for him. I love that. Um, and I'm also going to tell Eugenio, because who knows? He might be he might be the next Mito. 
Um, and I imagine you're going to get like a 201 number on him. So why not? Um, I think that's a, a, a decent proposition. Uh, James Hahn is a guy I always think about for, um, for first round leaders. There is a story circling around about Scotty Scheffler shooting a 58 this week. So that's encouraging in a first round leader market, although I don't usually go that low on the list. Um, and also throw out uh, Denny McCarthy's name because he's capable of hitting all of the putts and he is deep down on the board. So I feel like you can get some good value on him as well. I like it. I like it. For me, I'm looking at Guido Migliosi uh, at 100 to 1. I think that's just a pretty good number for him for one day. Um, I like uh, Steven Yeager at 90 to 1. Um, again, I'm just looking at taking some long shots. Obviously, the first round leaders, we're not looking for favorites. I think Brian Stewart at 110 to 1 can be interesting. And my uh, last two plays are Ches Reeve at 90 to 1 and Joel Dahman at 75 to 1. See ya. Who are we putting the house on this week? Uh, if you have multiple houses, you're putting multiple houses on, on the following guys. Okay, so let's start with, I like Emiliano Grillo too. He was actually going to be the breaking news, the super lock, but um, I only found him at 55 to one, but that was DraftKings. So clearly what that means is, is you know, at certain places he's probably getting bet and just hasn't really caught up to FanDuel yet. But uh, Grillo, 55 to one, Chris Kirk, 70 to one, Tom Hogue at 90 to one. Kyle Stanley, 130 to 1. And the breaking news, this is going to surprise you all, at 50 to 1, this is where I want you to put literally everything you have. Try to borrow money from your friends if you can. Tell them, like, make up a reason because they're not really going to get it that we're like a thousand percent on these first round leaders. But make sure you gather all the money you have, um, parents' money, you name it. Like, you know, steal if you have to. I mean, honestly, like, that's probably the way for this tournament. I think that's probably the way to go. Um, listen, at 50 to 1, your first round leader lock. No question. It's Sergio Garcia. Let's let's get after it. You're welcome, America. That's an easy one. We knew that was obvious. That's, and, and you I mean, do, it's not even stealing. If you do it like they do in Dumb and Dumber, where you give the fun coupon returns, it's not stealing. Right. It's borrowing because you're going to hit this back. You can give it back. Wait on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can talk to him first. Give him an IOU. You just write it out. And that's, I'm a lawyer. That's actually legally binding. That's a true story. <laughs> I'm licensed in Virginia and Florida. I can tell you, at least in both of those states, it's legally binding. So I'm pretty sure you're good to go. There was going to be Grio. So so just keep that in mind. Grio, and it might be a tie for first. Grio and Sergio are definitely your first round leaders. But I think Sergio is probably going to edge him out by like one stroke. I love it. That's it. I mean, we gave you the winners. We gave you the DFS plays. I can't really think of anything else unless, see, you might. Well, you know, first of all, John. PGA Tao, thank you for joining us. Um, you're obviously welcome anytime. Just so you know, the shows don't usually run this long. I, I kind of had a bit, which so we're normally like an hour, but um, I'm sure we'll invite you again. Hopefully you'll come. And uh, dude, we honestly, we super appreciate the work you put out there. Like whenever you, I think it's Sunday night or Monday morning, like we all read it. I think pretty much everybody reads it and it's such a good baseline to work off of. I definitely think you're one of the minds in this, in this golf world that like people like, really really respect and i think there's only a handful of those i'm not one of them uh i spencer's probably one of them joel's probably one of them but there, there really is like a, a kind of close group of people i think that people really kind of lean on and you're definitely one of them so thanks for all the content um thanks for answering all the questions and uh god what did i forget there's something i forgot um sports <laughs>